Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of the Happy Vagina podcast has been brought to you by Venus. Venus, the number one female razor brand in the world, is introducing a new way to care for your pubic hair and skin with the new Venus for Pubic Hair and Skin collection. Despite many women regularly removing their pubic hair, many don't feel comfortable discussing pubic grooming or the issues they face when doing so. Although nearly three quarters of women believe that they should be able to use words like vagina and pubic in public without feeling shame, nearly half of women say they've been made to feel these aren't appropriate words to use in public. With the new range, Venus wants to legitimise conversations about the pubic area to remove the taboo around pubic language and grooming, encouraging women to free the vulva, that's hashtag free the vulva, and speak openly and honestly about their pubic hair and skin. Welcome to The Happy Vagina, a podcast dedicated to celebrating pioneers in the female space who have made a difference in women's health, equality and relationships. Each week we chat to an inspiring human as they explore the experiences that completely change their outlook promising not only to educate, but also to entertain and enlighten. And this week, on The Happy Vagina, I have kidnapped, for the third time, the amazing Chloe Delavine to co-host with me. Chloe, welcome to The Happy Vagina. Thank you very much, darling Mika. And we are going to be meeting with the goddess that is Dita Von Teese, who has been unapologetically championing the liberation and sexiness of women of all shapes, sizes and ages since 1992. She certainly has. Welcome to the show, Dita. Yes. Hi. Oh, thanks for having me. I couldn't resist being on a show called The Happy Vagina. <laughs> Chloe has seen you perform. I've only watched you on video. Yeah. I can't. I sh- it was years and years ago, and I can't remember where it was. I think it was either at Selfridges or Garrods or something at a party. And I walked in, and there was Dita in this giant martini glass with like a green, squeezing this green olive. And I remember my just jaw dropping and just thinking it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Sexy and just, yes, it was <laughs> spectacular. Thank you. That was probably Ger- Gerard. Yeah. Yes, yes. Oh, God, what a party. I think, it, you know, Jay Jagger really gave me my first big break in the UK, I think, with that party, which is now like Amazing. a long, long time ago now. Um, yes. Yeah, but I always consider that like the first like big London thing I did. When was that? Oh. Um, early two thousand. So, did you have a, a, a substantial career in America and elsewhere before that? And it took that show to break you into the London scene or the UK yeah. scene. Well, I think what, what it was is I was more in this underground burlesque and fetish scene 
for a long time since the early 90s and it was just sort of like one of a few things that happened at that time that um you know kind of gave me a little bit of mainstream attention so mm. i kind of you know it was it was kind of a, a few things like i was on the cover of playboy in america at a time when it was still a big deal and everyone knew who was on the cover of playboy they had a lot mm. of celebrities on the, on it and um so that was a my first big break and then suddenly I was getting like fashion designers noticing me and Jay Jagger so I think it was really that just kind of like a moment like around 2002 was when things started really like changing for me. So that was 10 years on and I think um, one of the mm-hmm. things that Chloe and I find super impressive about you is your kind of entrepreneurial nature and burlesque as a as a form of entertainment ha- had gone really underground it wasn't it definitely wasn't as commercially acceptable as it is today. Maybe acceptable is not not quite quite the right word, but but it but but you you have worked hard all of your life, haven't you, Dita? Yeah, I, I always loved working. <laughs> you know, I always had a job from as you know, my first job was working in a lingerie store when I was fifteen, and I just always liked working because I felt that you know, working and making my own money meant independence and. You know, even later in life, I thought like, oh, working and taking care of myself also means I can, you know, be w- be with a man I love instead of one that I need to be with. You know, I- I'm I'm a child of the '70s, so you know, there's still a little bit. You know, things have changed a lot even since I was, you know, a teenager and a young young girl. So, yeah, I remember just thinking, I'm going to take matters in my own hands. Was it your decision? Because my parents made me work for my pocket money. I mean, mm. actually, just the other day, I was thinking. Did my parents put me through child labor? Like, well, my... <laughs> you know, when you have Funny. one of those thoughts of, hang on a second, yeah. was it okay mm-hmm. that they used to make me work from the age of like two? Mm-hmm. Is that acceptable? <laughs> but you, but you, it came through you to work. I, I read an st- amazing story about you almost understanding that you could exchange work for things that you mm-hmm. wanted from a yeah. very young age. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, my, I think... You know, I want like I wanted ballet classes, for instance, when I was, you know, probably like 10 or something, you know, I started taking ballet and my parents were like, we can't afford to have you in ballet class. And so I went to the studio owner and was like, can I do something or clean in exchange for ballet classes? And she let me. So I was kind of, you know, I don't come from money or anything. And I remember even through high school, I always had to pay for all my own school things or you know, gas money for my car. So I just, it, I, I just, me and my best girlfriend in high school, we both loved working. We worked at the same jobs together often. So I just liked working and making my own money and being able to have that power. Mm-hmm. But it was also slightly a necessity. My parents were getting a divorce and having affairs with each other's best friends and stuff, all this crazy stuff when I was a teenager. So it was sort of like, I was also left to my own devices. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like I had to kind of grow up pretty fast mm. when I was like 15, 16, 17. Yeah, I think it's good to have a, a an ethos of wanting to work. I think that if you, mm-hmm. I think there's something uh, very nurturing about someone who, I don't, I wouldn't say lives to work, but there's, I think somewhere in the middle between those two expressions of working to live and, and living to work. One of the things that people struggle with is, finding their their passion i think what mika's trying to ask is have you always been obsessed with burlesque (laughs) thanks chloe (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, you know, I loved ballet from a young age. I was always, you know, but I was a struggling ballerina, you know, I was always that flower in the back had to follow people because I just was not very talented at it like even I remember being like you know 16 and you know doing like the, uh, the nutcracker with a rinky dink ballet company and I was still just like struggling but I loved it so much um but you know later I realized um you know and I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a ballerina my whole life but then I quickly realized like I am not good at this <laughs> and then I, uh, it was funny because I just, you know, was realistic about it, but then somebody, you know, that it's kind of how I came to, um, came to burlesque in a way, striptease in general, you know, I was sort of in, you know, working in the electronic clubs and doing performance art and go-go dancing and all this stuff. And then a friend took me to a strip club and I already dressed in vintage clothes. And I thought, you know, a light bulb went on my head that, you know, there was nobody like me in those strip clubs. So that's where it really started. And then it evolved from there. But, you know, my, my, I always felt like my failure as a ballet dancer is, you know, I kind of got like, I got everything I wanted, everything I loved about ballet, really, like, the beautiful costumes, being on stage, the pink spotlight, all these like cliches of ballet that, that I that I loved, you know, as a little girl fantasizing about it. Mm. Ultimately, I got all of those things I wanted, you know, in a very different way. And I mm. thought also, nobody's ever, anytime people ask me about ballet, I never said, well, I just love to dance. I feel free when I'm dancing. <laughs> I never say that. It was no, I was sort of like, oh, you know what I love is like putting painting on that ballet makeup, lacing up those satin point shoes, wearing, you know, the, the seamed tights, you know. So I, I think like I didn't really love dancing. It was mm. that I loved the glamour of ballet. And the dress up and the performance. The theater of it. Yeah, mm -hmm. the theater of it. And I basically parlayed, you know, my the the what I loved and thought what if I do striptease you know like what if I have all these fancy clothes and I do striptease and I kind of then figured out you know got into the history of striptease and discovered what burlesque was and you know that was in you know the early 90s and you know it just kind of I kind of fell into it but that's also I didn't just become a burlesque star I worked in a a, a seedy strip bar you know <laughs> I did. I worked in like a, you know, a strip club for many years. I loved it. I learned a lot about women and men and myself and found confidence by doing that. Uh, and definitely it, you know, that daily training of, of performing helps me now to make it feel natural. Mm -hmm. And I, I know what it is, you know, I, I understand better what it is to be sexy. I think than if I didn't have those like 10 years in a strip joint you know but did you find when you were the so before because at some point you tipped into being a business yes an entity uh, that, that you're you became a brand you 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 essentially became uh the master of your own ship when you were working in 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 more of a, a standard strip club before you became an act uh, i know you were still an act then but how much agency did you have when you were, other than the detail of your own performance, when you were working in those strip clubs, what was the experience like for you? In yeah, I mean, it was kind of a little bit different because first I was working just as a dancer. And this is also, I should say, the goal 
golden age of strippers, you know, like in a lot of ways, like the 90s, there's a lot of money flowing, I would work my lingerie store job, and I'd come there and I got paid, and I paid taxes, and I did all that stuff. And I made, a, you know, you could make a lot of money back then. So I was, you know, I was kind of, it, it, to me, it always felt like a legitimate job. And then a few years into it, I, you know, I started posing for Playboy, and then I became kind of known um, and I was touring and headlining the big fancy strip clubs all over the United States. So it was kind of like it, it was, you know, the ball was rolling and it just kind of kept going and I kept pushing it a little further. And um, so it was kind of always baby steps, you know, and I never really took myself. I always thought it was my 15 minutes. I always thought like, oh, mm. these pinup pictures I'm taking, these videos, these strip clubs, these like playboy moments are all just like a thing I'll look back on when I have you know children and a husband one day you know something funny I was just doing when I was young and you know even when I was one thing I think about a lot is you know because the question comes up so much and um or the comment rather you know I've been told since I was 25 doing that people have asked me what are you going to do when you're old and you're not you're not what are you going to do when you're what are you going to do when you're 30 and you're not beautiful like you are now anymore I mean I feel like that's been hammered into my brain since I was 22 yet here I am <laughs> 48 but also the the burlesque dancers so um the the from 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 the 1930s and 40s so the original the original i guess i mean i knew mm -hmm. it grew, i know it grew out of something else but they some of them are still burlesquing is that is that what you oh, say Chloe? yeah burlesquing? <laughs> burlesquing? some of them are still, some of them are still burlesque um, performers um now in their in their later in their later years i think that as a form Kind of, but you have to understand, like Gypsy Rosalie, for instance, you know, she was the biggest star of striptease. And, you know, she was a single mother in the 50s. And, um, you know, she had already, by the time she was 40, she was still touring, but she didn't take her clothes off. She was like, oh, no, I can't possibly because I'm uh, not I'm not young enough. And she had this whole bevy of women that she, you know, she appeared on stage, but she kind of used a lot of the other performers. It, it's very rare. You won't find many um, videos or pictures of Gypsy actually strip teasing because she really kind of retired herself in a way, not from being a businesswoman and not from being on the stage, but you know, even she felt like she that was she was past her prime in her forties. You know, so um, it's kind of I don't think that you know this is a different time and burlesque in the forties. People forget that. Burlesque in the 1940s and 50s, even um, you know, this is entertainment for men. It was not, it wasn't like there was a, a, an audience full of women cheering them on like it is now. Um, it was a very different time. This was like mm. the stri this is the the strip clubs of that time. And yes, there were some stars that managed to like get mainstream attention and accolades for being fabulous. But generally, it was not. You know, it was really still like strippers that often didn't wear the pasties and didn't even wear a g-string if they could get away with it you know it's like there it was pretty racy mm -hmm. um so i don't think you know and, and and now everything's different and i'm always grateful that i'm living in a time when it is different than the 40s and 50s and i would i would argue that the golden age of burlesque is now because we have such a um pro you know it, it, it's a it's all about diversity and acceptance and um it's become a place and it always I think it always has been really in the last like 20 some years 
it's really been a place where people find themselves and they get to express themselves. And it hasn't, it's never been about, you know, looking like a crazy horse Paris girl or being, you know, a, a certain, certain type. I think like, especially with my touring shows, it was the first thing I did when I put together a show was how do we make people feel represented and how do we have as many men in the show as women in the show and mm. how, you know i can't tick every box but i i really i do my best because i know the importance it holds for people that are watching so is that always one of your in, in your earlier days do you feel like you always had a conversation or, or a dialogue going on in your head is was was how can i take the women with me not really <laughs> I have to be I have to be I have to be honest I was in my 20s and I didn't I wasn't that smart yet you know what happened was I I got when in the early 2000s I HarperCollins um Judith Regan took a chance on me and wanted me to write a book so I wrote this you know I did this big burlesque book and kind of like talked about my life story and why I like the things that I do and how you know dyeing my hair black and trying to look like pinup stars and movie stars of a different time made me feel confident when I didn't feel very you know naturally beautiful so I wrote this book and that book came out and it changed everything and suddenly you know what you know what happened actually is I was doing the big Harrods um launch for my book here in London and like with the the horse and carriage they blocked off the streets I'd gone on the Jonathan Ross show it was like a big deal to talk about this book and I showed up um and it was all it was like thousands of girls and women and red lipstick everywhere and I was sort of like oh my god like that's not that was the first time I realized that I had a different audience and also a purpose and a mission and 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 I wanted to do my best try to, a responsibility. You know, try to yeah a responsibility and I was like okay I'd never tried to be a role model for anyone and I still do not say I'm a role model I'm just doing my best um but yeah I didn't ever think about that I was a playboy girl and it was like I was a stripper beneath the male gaze mostly you know and it was a surprise to me but did you you had fangirls yeah who were totally inspired by I was you. super shocked <laughs> I was totally shocked. I started, like, I remember having to fight back the tears because I was like, oh my God, there's all these women here. And I just didn't, I didn't know there would be that many people there, first of all, but um, no, it was, it was a shock, but it, it was, and anything that was good that was written about me, I felt like I had to live up to it, you know? So I really got like, oh my God, I have to live up to any of these things people are saying about me in the newspapers, the good things anyway, <laughs> you know? Do you do you feel like you put yourself under pressure? Does so that thought process that you just described to Chloe and I about mm -hmm. about that you know the responsibility which you you talk about it quite lightly. Does it feel light for you, or do you um, feel that your perfectionism means that you just add more and more layers to yourself to uh, achieve? Well, I feel mostly a sense of gratitude because it allows me the fact that I do have this different kind of it lets me move into different phases of life and still get to do what I love. Um, mm. So it does feel a little like I just feel grateful for it. But of course, I feel I do feel pressure, especially in, you know, now with how social media is and the, that, you know, everyone's held to such high standards and I'm still a human and I might not say something everybody agrees with. And, you know, there's always reasons and I get it thrown at me all the time like you're not my role model because of this you know and you're just like uh oh, but I don't know I 
I mean, I can't mm. be everything to everybody. I've just been doing my best for a long time. Um, and yeah, it's, I think it's become har harder for sure. And I feel, you know, I actually feel like more than ever, I have to kind of, you know, part of what I've always felt my strength was, is being vulnerable and telling people like, you know, what my vulnerabilities are and being very forthcoming, but it feels like on social media anymore, it's very hard to even do that in a, in a way that pleases everyone, mm. which I find unfortunate. I used to feel a little bit more free, I have to say. Mm, mm. It, it, social media is a very particular conundrum. It sure is. It's an amazing <laughs> thing because it's given everyone a voice. And I love that mm -hmm. because I think that for, I mean, you know, I'm, I, I, I like you, didn't, didn't grow up in London. Um, and, I, and I wonder what it would have been like for me if I'd have, I didn't have, I was very sheltered. Mm -hmm. um, and so... I think I'm quite grateful for that. I think for, for the generations that are coming through, I think it's really exciting that every single human being knows they can have a voice yes. if they want one. That mm -hmm. if they want to be a campaigner, they can be a campaigner. They might only have 10 people at school that follow them and support what they're doing, but I think that's the good thing of it. But the but the but the negative side of it is is the backlash that I think that can happen mm -hmm. and the judgment and the opinion and the divisiveness, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dita, did you did you always kind of have a focus on being an entrepreneur, do you think? Um, I think I had a focus on having fun and doing things that were fun, finding ways to, to make money while doing something I enjoyed. Um, but I guess it's really, I don't know, it's always been hard for me to say I'm an entrepreneur because I feel like people say, oh, you're so, such a good businesswoman. And I go, oh, am I? I'm not sure that I am sometimes, you know, I made a lot of, you know, mistakes in business and things that I go, oh, why did I do that? Why did I not do that? So, you know, I never, I think it's kind of an illusion, isn't it? Like to say, oh, you're such a good businesswoman. I mean, I don't, some, for some things, yes, some things maybe no. Yeah, um, the shop window looks like a good business. Um, like you've got you've got good business sense, but for all yeah. of us, what goes on behind the scenes might not be quite as right as yeah. as, as clear. But for for women that are listening into this podcast who may feel lost or like they mm -hmm. they don't know what their burlesque is, like what their mm -hmm. groove is. What do you say to to women who who sort of can't somehow they can't get through? the the noise to find mm -hmm. their mm -hmm. deep intuition because I do feel that you've got intuition around things yeah I mean I think I always think whatever you're doing you have to and I think people get blinded by seeing what other people are doing um you have to do something because you genuinely love it and then the reward is already there if you're already loving it whether you get rich off of it or not you know I think that's the big mistake people make is they're like I'm gonna do this because I'm going to be rich and you're or famous or whatever and you're like but I don't know I mean I always look back on my career which is I remember you know headlining a crappy like beer joint in Wisconsin and having a billboard and and, and thinking I have arrived this is my moment you know <laughs> like I, I I was happy in the moment you know I was really happy with what I was doing I was happy in the moment I didn't think I got to get out of this place like you know I, I would like I never thought ahead I just thought about the integrity in the moment and having fun in the moment and feeling like I was doing my best wherever I was, whether it was, and I still feel that way, like whether 
or I, you know, am doing, you know, every, every show matters, you know, whether it's for five people or, you know, for 3000. So I, I guess when I look back at myself and how I was, I was, and I did, I feel like I've been around a lot of people that were always like hating what they were doing in the moment um, or thinking, I gotta, I gotta do something bigger. You know, I have to, this isn't what I want to be doing. And I just thought like, okay, I don't know. I'm just having fun. And I think that my taking the pressure off myself, like I said, I never ever intended to be a famous burlesque star. I just liked doing little shows and I liked when they got bigger and bigger and it was fun and I still go oh who am I where am I how did I get here you know I have those moments so I think sometimes people get caught up and 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 not and listen you have to have a good a healthy dose of reality too it's like you can say you want to be a famous baseball player and it's like you not you might not be able to be a famous baseball player any more than I could be a famous ballerina but a sense of like real you know goals and and things that you love and really like connecting to what you love and thinking of what you can do but not being too disappointed if you don't get there because listen i was no overnight success by any means um i you know i i i it, it took a long time for me to get to a point where i could call what i was doing a career really mm. and people give up really quickly and i think you know yeah, you have to be realistic, right? But at the same time, you know, you can't just give up because you didn't do it. I mean, I just think, you know, I, I could have easily been doing something else in the striptease realm. I could own a strip club myself or whatever. I could have, and I still probably would have been doing something I liked or liked being around, right? It's mm. genuine and authentic. Mm. Like, it's about letting go of the outcome. So, mm -hmm. you know, I used to... Um, uh, pretend I was sick to stay at home and watch MGM musicals when I was young. <laughs> so I can see that my trajectory is still on track, that my trajectory was to um, to have a seat at the table of uh, performance or entertainment somehow. And I've, and, and I've had many struggles within it and losses and things and jobs not worked out and all the same mm -hmm. stuff. And, and, and you've just said the same. And, and, and you also... You also talked about, you know, wanting you had your first disappointment as a child when you when you realized that you 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 couldn't or you necessarily weren't the right mm -hmm. fit to be a ballerina. Thank God, because we would not have got the gorgeous, sexy goddess <laughs> that you are. But it's like keep chipping away at the thing yeah. that you're interested in, you love, but let go of what the outcome might Correct. look yes. like, you know, like follow the flow like chloe's followed the flow chloe you you may have had some children along the way but you're still flowing in women's health yes i agree i agree with all of that it's it's um not having a goal i mean that's how it, it's hard because you want to have some goals but I, I you know i don't a lot of people ask me like what's the next big thing for you I go i don't know i mean i'm just always surprised when something cool comes along that i get to do and i'm you know i just want to do my best but i i just don't yeah i never saw myself like looking for these big dreams and going after them so much it was just like i like doing this let's see how far we can take it i mean Dita, i've got to say that over the last couple of days found being in your company over the last two days incredibly soothing and i'm like oh i think i'm just gonna be like a goddess like Dita. like so i <laughs> my this like my my be a bit more Dita. <laughs> like I would speak possibly for Chloe and I that our general kind of like energy is like ah 
how are we going to get it all done? Yeah. And I'm listening to Dita Von Tees and she's just like, she's just steady and doing what she likes and taking don't it. No, that's, that's not exactly the reality, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, especially this last year when I had all this showbiz stripped away and all the things that I really love. Love to do, and I had to like really take yeah. a good, hard look at my business and all this stuff that I didn't want to deal with, you know, because I would have rather been on tour and rhinestones and feathers. And now I've had, I'm grateful for this time because there's, it, oh. although it's been the worst year of my life, um, it's also been like a moment to look at, at my look at things I wasn't paying attention to, and um, get dig in, you know. And also, I just think, okay, so we spent this whole year doing that maybe it's going to be two years actually probably for me because there's not going to be any show business this year really either um but it's like I look at it as it has laid the groundwork so I can go back to all the things that I love about show business and have fun with it instead of being you know having to worry about all the paperwork and the you know the stuff that I was like I'll think about that later you know <laughs> I feel like on top like of your, on top of your yeah. game on uh, top of your game doing my best um, that's it <laughs> just I think that's been this last year's been like that for for for, lo for lots of us it's been empowering in many ways um speaking mm -hmm. of empowerment um you you spoke about being um on the cover of Playboy and that your career uh really started back in the 90s and that it was uh, potentially m more uh, appreciated by men until a certain turning point. And I I think, you know, we've also touched on the kind of divisiveness of social media. And I, and I sometimes get some people saying to me on the Happy Vagina account that I'm somehow not feminist enough, which I find really weird. I'm like, <laughs> uh, hello, what did I go? It's like, what, how much more? But I think um, I just, uh i would like to know a little bit about how you feel things have changed like what because i think social media has allowed women to be in their own power sexually mm -hmm. in a way that we haven't had yes. before i really think Absolutely. that women are like i'm going to be sexual on social media and but in the 90s the word objectification, I think mm -hmm. potentially it meant something different. And I wondered what your experience was like. Yeah, I mean, the word objectification, I guess it's sort of like, uh, it seems like a bad word, but then sometimes you just think, you know, it's kind of like, you know, listen, in your sex fantasies, does everybody want to be loved for their mind? I don't know. I mean, I always kind of liked the idea of the fact that I could choose to be objectified. And there was, it was something I liked about that space because I always had, I've always had so much control in my life. And um, so I never thought of it as something bad. But, you know, listen, my, whole, my entire career is built on trying to liberate taboos. And that's just one of them is like, I want to be objectified, you know. <laughs> but it's also very complicated and I know it's not for everyone either. I, think I read a quote it's... about that that you said about that mm. you thought that the last hurdle for feminism or maybe you didn't say feminism maybe I've added that bit in but I'm going to leave it there but but, but, <laughs> the, 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 yeah may, but, but to to kind of make it okay to want to be objectified that, that somehow mm. or other we've made that a bad thing you can't objectify me but if you are choosing it, it's mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, to me, it's a little like when you talk about BDSM, people being dominant and submissive and liking to be tied up or spanked. It's a little bit like, you know, you really shouldn't be telling people what makes them feel empowered or degrade versus degraded. It's a little bit like that's how I feel about striptease. Like with striptease, could someone call that degrading and the same person can call it or somebody different can call it empowering? I just I've kind of always been fascinated with these two the the way that uh, this one person can look at the same thing, whether it's a piece of art or porn or whatever it is, and one person can find power in it and one person can find it to be, you know, anti-feminist and degrading. So, but the but I think you know we're living in a time where we don't get to judge each other's um, uh, definition of feminism and what it is to be a feminist anymore. Like, sorry, that's all out the window. For some, and some people still want to judge it and say, like what you were saying, someone calling you not feminist enough. It's like, I don't know. I always felt like to be a feminist is to have, to be able to have the power to do what you want and not have somebody tell you what else to do. So I, I, you know, have always been fascinated by women in the erotic space that are also feminists because, you know, that's what it means there. You're free to do what you want. You're doing it by your choice. You're making a living in a way that you enjoy hopefully, or, you know, you've taken the power to decide to be a sex worker or a burlesque star or stripper or what, you know, porn star. I've just always been sort of like, that seems pretty, you know, pretty powerful to me. Mm. Mm. Did you think along the lines of whether or not you were, because in the 90s, so my mum was a feminist Mm -hmm. and I felt like I was raised a feminist and I can absolutely say hands down that in the late 90s and early noughties, I did not behave like a feminist. It was a wild period of time (laughs) and I was so far from being a feminist. (laughs) And thankfully, can I I hear some examples? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. How do you mean me? Yes. (laughs) No, I mean, jokes aside, genuinely, I would um, say that I didn't treat myself as a woman with the level of respect and deserve uh, respect and and, um, nurture that I would today. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of why I'm interested in this subject with you and what your experience was like, like whether or not you've whether or not you've seen a development in terms of your relationship to your work. So what you've have you always been this kind of clear around the objectification or has it been a journey for you and have you been on a on a similar trajectory that you've that potentially you weren't as so in control of it back then mm-hmm. i guess well yeah it's it's interesting i'm just my mind's going through it and i'm thinking you know one of the reasons i actually got into being a pinup and you know this the erotic space was because in my early like my my long-term boyfriend between the ages of uh 21 and 24 um he was addicted to pornography and I kind of was trying so hard to be one of those women I want I was like I've got to be like that if he's gonna love me and why doesn't he want to have sex with me instead of that and then I started posing for all these magazines and then, then the funny thing is he would take those magazines and the pictures of me, he had like a projector on the wall and he'd look at pictures of me and I was like, but the real thing is right here. And, you know, I was like 22 years old, just going, you know, working at a strip club, getting all this attention, posing for these magazines and my own like person that I loved 
couldn't put any sexual energy into me. It was really confusing. So I don't, don't know if that really answers the question. It's just something that came up to me about why I started doing this and how I felt this like desire to be wanted and to feel desired. Whereas I, you know, I'm a little, I was a little bit like ugly duckling, you know, it's kind of, I'm kind of like a mousy, you know, I'm not a very, uh, glamorous person without all my lipstick and my tricks and my clothes and the way I walk and the way that I, you know, wear my makeup. It's, uh, I, it's all learned stuff, you know, so I kind of grew up not being, you know, being the typical middle child with the beautiful older sister and the super cute younger sister. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it was just sort of wanting to be, you know, wanting to have like some kind of attention, you know, it's, sort of like that's kind of like been a constant theme in my life so I don't think that's very feminist of me to want to be like the girls in the magazine because my boyfriend was beating off to them you know yeah yeah I think I think that is exactly kind of my experience too and one thing one thing one thing I think is interesting though is like the now we didn't have guidance back then like I feel like there's so much more like younger women have so much guidance and like all these like you know on social media you can follow all these people like feminists and 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 you know people that have great words of wisdom it's just like I didn't have that you know so I, I it was it's different you know I think things are different there's there's pros and cons I think of growing up the way that we did um you know, one thing I have to say is like, I'm really glad that I'm not like, you know, the men, men that are my age grew up watching Playboy and stealing a VHS porn tape. Whereas like what's available now scares me about how people are having sex or how, what they think sex is. That concerns me. So there's, there's pros and cons. I feel like it's, there's a lot of great information out there now that I didn't have. Like about what it is to be, I didn't, I've never, I don't know if I even heard the term fe feminist or maybe I thought a feminist was, you know, a, a, a bra burner. And I liked wearing bras because I think they're pretty. <laughs> no, I, I had like a very different, you know, to me, like a fit. I, I think I, there's probably quotes from me out there that are flippantly making fun of being a feminist, kind of like, yeah, I'm a feminist. I like to be as feminine as possible. That sounds like something that would have come out of my mouth when I was, you know, 22. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then you've sunk into it, and then and then actually, I think you are one of the leading people that young women can look up to and see an intelligent, but also very sexy and vulnerable, and you know, a full a full rounded woman, which is which <laughs> is the thing that we've broken free of is these these um you know two two D kind of like thoughts about what we should be as women. We can actually be everything. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist 
specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Now, you, you mentioned the porn nowadays, and... um. One of the things that we're struggling with on the Happy Vagina is that the new Instagram sex work guidelines means that every time I post the word vagina, uh, my posts get shadow censored. So what Mm -hmm. that means is they just don't show up on people's feeds. It doesn't mean they're they're not taken down. It just means that there are thousands of people. I've been told there are thousands of people in the offices at Instagram basically having certain posts and I think my account's mm. being watched it's fine because we're still we're, we're having a good time and I'm just like and but I think really the the thing that's important that I wanted to talk to you about because it, it crosses over into your industry is mm. I want to support Instagram to keep children safe mm-hmm. I, I do want I actually think that to a certain extent uh, with these forums and these media outlets that are a free for all and that there are sex workers using Instagram as a business shop window and that mm-hmm. somehow or other to make sure that the nine-year-old child who might be using Instagram um, is has has some kind of that that there's some barrier or boundary yeah. between what they see. However, the flip side of it is that uh, that that since the internet pornography has become widely available and is completely uncensored. So I'm I'm struggling a bit with like so my activism as a woman and using the word vagina is being censored, and yet I could put you know a a scenario a sexual scenario into a porn site and watch a woman who may have decided to make the video at home for herself and only get paid a pound for it and I Mm -hmm. I don't know how to process it all to be honest with you I agree I I have a lot of friends that have been shadow banned and then I I learned that I can't you know sell my lingerie line which is you know I can't use the word lingerie in a post (laughs) you know it's kind of you can't, you can't hashtag lingerie or there's tons of things you cannot hashtag really. Cause I'm sure that, that, you know, I'll get banned. Um, and I was even trying to do like a sponsored post for my lingerie brand, you know, geared toward women of age. And, um, I couldn't do it. You know, you can't, you can't do that. So they won't put it up, will they? Yeah, no, no. Oh, but pardon I, the I, pun. Yeah. <laughs> there's always All a pun. Right. They won't put it up. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I see, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I'm afraid if I had children, I would be really concerned too, but they can get it anywhere now. I just, I, I don't know. So I'm not sure why Facebook and the Instagram police is a thing. Um, mm. you know, and it, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what the solution is going to be. It's not going to get any better. I, I, I like to think that people that don't need to be on, like the, I've heard a lot of younger kids, like teenagers and such and younger young people are actually a lot of people are won't have anything to do with social media which i think is super chic you know i mean i wouldn't be i wouldn't be on there if i weren't trying to sell my tickets to my show and all these sort of things Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. you know and i like i like 
communicating with my fans, of course, too. But I, I'll tell you, like, there's definitely times where I like, I just don't want to, I don't want to spend that time mm. on there. Do do you, what do you think in terms of young people? So you touched on people learning sex via, I'm mm. imagining you mean the, the porn sites that I referenced. Yeah. Do you have any mm-hmm. thoughts about what should be happening in that industry? I know it's not quite your industry, but that yeah. it crosses over. Mm-hmm. Well, or friends, I, the people you work with. I think um, it seems to me that there is also, you know, if people start hearing more about porn that exists um, with real couples instead of porn stars, nothing against porn stars, but, you know, like legit people that are in love and how real people have sex instead of just the crazy stuff out there. I think finding a balance and if those porn sites um, could maybe show more of that like what people how people have sex when they're in love instead of you know just the gangbang listen I think it should all exist and you don't want to even see what the kind of stuff I search but you know I I I felt like Dita tell us I no, know, you have to tell no, us but you know it's <laughs> no Dita you have to tell us <laughs> I'm single and I need something to fantasize about and Chloe's really re, oh gosh re, re, about to re-enter <laughs> oh, into a sexual relationship after having broken her coccyx <laughs> oh my god well, you know, I like to look <laughs> at the extreme. I mean, but I love like sexy, sensual love. I'm a serial monogamous, but I do like to look at some of the extreme stuff. But um, yeah, it's it's. I don't. I don't. I don't know um, how people should navigate. I just. I, oh, I was gonna say one thing. I noticed when back when I was like dating guys that were maybe 15 years younger than me I could actually tell a difference <laughs> you know I was like oh this is a different generation than mine you know like how they how they and maybe that's part of like how some Amazing. men would react to me and feel like they have to like be kind of like show offy or something or they have to act like they're they have to feel like they know about fetish play to which I'm like really I don't it's not who I am it's just to what you can google pictures of me uh in bondage but you know it's doesn't mean that I want that in my bedroom every time. So do you feel like, because I just, my my last partner was younger than me and I would say, oh dear God, if he listens to this, he's going to kill me, but <laughs> oh well. But I would say that he was more, more performance based mm-hmm. and more vigilant. Like he wanted, like it's a really mm-hmm. weird thing, but I think he almost definitely did learn uh, about partly who he was as a sexual being through porn because they're all at it at school and stuff um but i i just is that what you found that that a younger man is somehow uh more even more i don't i was okay it's easy to put like this my earlier year experiences with boyfriends of the same age i don't i think that they were they weren't as conscious of being a good lover Right. I know. I wonder if pornography is making men think, God, I better be a good lover. (laughs) Maybe. I mean, that's a very valid point because when I think about it, it's like, yeah, I think about men that were maybe older than me that I was with that didn't seem to be great lovers. And then guys that were maybe, I don't know. I have, I've been in a lot of long-term relationships. So you have a lot of opportunity to guide, but yeah, I think you're, I think you're, you're onto something with that kind of like people are now at least they're learning to maybe be a good lover as long as they're not just watching the like you know you know what I'm saying like you don't you don't need to slam your penis down a woman's throat and have her gag with tears rolling down her face that's not you know what I mean like a lot of guys will see that and think that's how you're supposed to get a blowjob let's be real and it's like that's not 
I get worried about people not like understanding that's for show and kind of like the extreme. Unless you want to do that and you're, you know, listen, unless you're into that, you know, you can, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm glad it all exists so you can kind of see it, but I worry if people don't see a balance between like that, that extreme or, and, and like real love and sexy, sensual, erotic sex. That's the concern, isn't it? And then also the um, taking that one step further, that that can also then become an addiction, which mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to put put words into your mouth but you touched on in one of your earlier relationships where the man was I think for men and women I've got many women in my life who also almost would prefer to watch porn than they, they're like I'm just I've got it I've got it all going on I've got my vibrators I've got my porn I just need a man but I think that can actually be a little bit addictive it can be seriously yeah, addictive yeah, it can yeah. go into sex addiction but also it can just yes I'm not talking about I'm not talking about sex addiction. I'm talking about you can just, it's easier. It can be easier to not be intimate. Yes. It can be easier to just be intimate with yourself. Mm-hmm. And there's, yeah, there's, a, and there's also, I think we're going to see, we're going to start see, seeing like really the effect of like social media and our phones and all of like the different types of infidelities that arise from that, that are maybe not sex, but like just people crossing the line or the addictive quality of like, you know, watching porn or whatever you know the dystopian future of our of our future gen the dystopian sexual nature of our future generations it's a it's um it's going to be an interesting thing mm-hmm. to watch. yeah i think i think we also have to remember when we get in a relationship we kind of have to like sit down and say what what we're okay with and what we're not because the problem is don't you think we fall in love and we're just mm-hmm. like oh we're in love and you never mm-hmm. talk about what is acceptable and what isn't you know mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you just sort of fall in love and let it happen and you just presume mm. everything and you could mm. be wrong but also <laughs> while the serotonin and the pheromones and the endorphins are flying around while you're falling in love you know you you literally forget to have the the proper chats yeah i think i feel like Dieter, you know this this goddess <laughs> it doesn't really I. exist <laughs> sorry but it's like the weather you know like sometimes you feel goddess and sometimes you feel like what you know (laughs) like I mean I don't know it's hard for me to wrap my head around the idea that you know because it's like nobody feels confident all the time no one can it's not easy to always tap into that Mm -hmm. and there'll be plenty of you know if you get to be um you know if you get to be on this planet long enough you quickly realize that you will not always be treated like goddess (laughs) you know you can think you are but you still might get thrown in the trash you know I know but that insight that you've just had that you've just shared that's why we actually do think you're a goddess i'm <laughs> yes. so sorry dita but chloe and i actually possibly do have you on a pedestal don't we chloe dita we are not taking it you are a goddess dita we're not having it we, we've just got you on a pedestal <laughs> we're not having any of it are we chloe nope not <laughs> for a second <laughs> but you know and I mean and people are always asking me about confidence and I'm like I don't have confidence I just do my best to like I do my best I do have confidence sometimes but I do my best to control all the circumstances that help me feel confident which is Mm. you know wearing the clothes I like perfuming my house and decorating my house the way that I like like creating a poetic seductive space and feeling like 
you know, it's something that makes me feel good about myself and my world. And that's what seduction is, is like when somebody kind of like wants to gets gets seduced by your world and your the way you are, you know, your 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 um, sense of humor, your wisdom, your all of these things. I think it's not about like trapping a man, you know, it's really about like, what are you doing for yourself that entices others to either it doesn't even to seduce isn't even about like you know getting somebody in the bedroom or making them yours it's really like i always think of seduction in terms of like um creating your space that makes not just lovers but friends ever you're you they're all seduced to want to be part of your world because it's a nice place to be. And then the other people that are around you are inspiring and uplifting, you know, get, get the people out of your space that are not inspiring you and uplifting you and, you know, on the same wavelength. So that's kind of what I think about seduction. I, you, you have to start with you, you know, which is why I'm always talking about, you know, my relationship with, with lingerie, which is what sparked my entire burlesque career. Really. It was like, I was working in a lingerie store when I was young and as a teenager and I always was fascinated by lace and the beauty and the lingerie as a rite of passage of being a woman and I didn't really like think about it like that is for sex and in fact I had this whole thing with my dad I worked in a lingerie store I was 15 and I used to like wash my little things in the sink and they were beautiful I had beautiful lingerie right but to me it was just something pretty and I remember like hanging it up and my dad calling me a whore for having black lingerie and all these like pretty things and I didn't even understand what it was about you know and uh, you know I just kind of realized like you know I always wore that stuff because and I still do because I like it you know it's not what you're going to put on for someone else but then you know you're well equipped when you're ready to use it as a tool of seduction you know so I kind of look at everything like that it's like and you want to feel being a sex goddess, it should always feel natural and effortless. And the only way that it can actually be effortless and natural is if you do it every day and all the time, (laughs) you know, when I go on stage, I'm like, I have to be Heather Sweet from Michigan on stage too, along with the Dita Von character I created. It's like the vulnerability and the real me and the humor and intelligence and all that stuff has to come across on stage or else it's just pretty girl on stage and there's no reason to really go you can see that anywhere so would you say that that you sort of on a daily basis and even if you get dragged away from it but on a kind of sometimes moment to moment sometimes day to day sometimes week to week basis you're kind of constantly trying to look to get back to you or to stay with you like is that kind of that's what I get from you is like it's like how do I move back to what I really want or what I really love mm-hmm. and and that the, there's all these other circumstances mm-hmm. that try and pull us away so you just kind of keep nudging yourself back to a deep sense of pleasure I, I don't mean pleasure as in sexual pleasure I mean pleasure mm-hmm. as in joy and pleasure yeah I mean I like to think so I mean that's you know I like surrounding myself with things that make me feel good and and pleasure yes um but you know it's not all always that way but yeah I I think like ultimately you have to be good with yourself you have to have you have to be right with yourself and work on cultivating all of this like other stuff that is makes you 
sexy goddess whatever erotic like that's all there's more to it than the lingerie you wear and the makeup you wear and the high heels that you wear and you know the dirty talk you can do you must you know like it's not it's not those things sex toy it's not those things it's really like what are all those other things that make you you know I sometimes think about it you know when we're also when we're really young we always think like um you know, we're young and we're very ageist, right? Most of us are very ageist when we're like 20 year old girls, right? Like, how did my boyfriend get stolen by a 45 year old woman? (laughs) You know, now I know the answer to that, you know, but I would have definitely been like 21 years old, like, you know, can't understand it. She's old, you know, but (laughs) older women have a lot to offer and men know it. (laughs) And so you gotta, you better, you know, don't, don't be so quick to miss, you know, to just hurl insults at the older women that say she's not as pretty as me. Guess what? She is not just cultivating her beauty. She's cultivating a whole bunch of other stuff. And that's what is sexy and attractive. And I love living in a world where the, you know, 20 something girl has to worry about the, uh, I think they used to call them cougars. (laughs) I haven't heard that term in a while, right? Mills, cougars, so insulting. Yeah. But you know, yeah, don't ever always remember that looks are not what what is attractive or what draws people to, you know, be sexually attracted to someone. It's not always what you what someone looks like. And I am glad that people are starting to I think you learn that at some point. No, I I did hear you say that you thought that old women have a potent erotic weapon. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going with that. I love that. I think you also come to a a moment where you're not always like, you you become more confident, you're quick to say what you think. Um, You might be, like I said, cultivating things other than just what you look like anymore. Mm. Um, Mm. So I think, Mm. you know, that's the thing I always say too, it's just don't forget to read some books don't just watch netflix fill yourself (laughs) with joy dita it's been so lovely chatting to you we have a few questions that we got sent from the community okay to ask you um if you'd be happy to answer them and actually you've already touched on one of them already which is you spoke you just mentioned about talking dirty which is something that Mm -hmm. i've always found really easy as an actress i quite enjoy it and and we talked about pain and pleasure earlier and i i really enjoy fantasy i Mm -hmm. always have Mm -hmm. it's something that i but but i would say most women don't i think most women don't know chloe's putting her hand up just for anyone (laughs) that (laughs) that's The idea of talking dirty is like exactly. Okay, so Dita, top tips. So that's one of our questions from from the community and also from my co-host, Chloe Delavine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have to admit, first of all, I have to really like, when I meet somebody new, I am such a good dirty talker. And as soon as it becomes real and it's like my, you know, I'm five years in, I'm just like, oh God, what can I say that I haven't already said? Or he knows me too well. He knows I'm making this up, you know? (laughs) or whatever you know because there's a fine art you know who I I feel like yeah I'm it's one of the things I often ask other women that I know like I don't know if you know who Bethany Vernon is um she authored the boudoir bible talk about a good dirty talker because you know what it doesn't always have to be about like it doesn't need to be explicit to be hot you know and I think she's kind of like my icon of dirty talking really and her book is amazing but um she has such a, 
she knows how to use her voice in a very erotic way. So I'm, I'm actually one of those people that's always asking or looking to, to other women, like, how do you dirty talk with, you know, this person you've been with for, you know, three years or four years or five years? That's the hard part, right? You know? I turn into more, I have to admit, I turn into a dirty talker after a glass of champagne. (laughs) That's where I kind of feel like I have to, to, I have to. And also when I'm highly aroused, there's some stuff that comes out of my mouth. Yeah. So maybe in advance, you see, maybe write down some like useful phrases and then you pluck them out in the heat of the moment when you feel brave. So maybe it's another thing, (laughs) another thing maybe you cultivate. You're like, I'm going to look at some erotic books or, you know, read a book like Bethany's and see what she says about dirty talk and, you know, verbalizing in the bedroom and, you know, study it and then be kind of comfortable with it and then use it when you feel inclined. I don't think you have to be like dirty talking, like, you know, out of the blue. It can be a process. Mm. And another question from our community. Do you have low days? If so, how do you manage them? Uh, I I try to go out in nature. (laughs) I think like changing my perspective and my environment and um, just stepping outside sometimes helps me a lot. My, My favorite thing to do lately, I know it sounds kind of like weird, but you know, I live in LA and we have some phenomenal graveyards there, you know, where all the movie stars are buried and everything. Mm-hmm. So I just love like, I'm going to go walk around there. It kind of gives you perspective, makes you realize you're like, you know, sweating the small stuff, <laughs> you know? And so I kind of love to do that. I actually usually take one of my old cars and drive through um, the forest lawn, which is a really famous one where like Elizabeth Taylor's buried and all these movie stars and it's vast. So I kind of just look at it like, getting outside though because these are also beautiful places with lots of trees and greenery and flowers and um yeah i think going outside taking a walk that's really the best perspective Mm -hmm. changing your environment doing whatever yeah i have to it's it's been hard for me right now because i'm in quarantine i can't go outside (laughs) i'm waiting so i can go outside The last question from the community i mean we had hundreds but these were my three favorites the last one was um this was my favorite question. She, uh, a woman who is plus size, um, said that she feels like she said Audrey Hepburn or Dita on the inside, but that she's struggling to dress how she feels. Mm. So she has this idea of who she wants to be, mm-hmm. but can't quite bridge the gap. And and she wondered mm-hmm. whether you had any top tips. Yeah, I mean, well, I think here's where I'm going to say that social media is so great. There's so many amazing examples of women of all, you know, shapes and sizes and ages and, and um, ethnicities. It's like, it's all like, there's so many people like to to discover that are, um, you know, I I say, like, I, I always think like, just go, you know, go look at some people, somebody that's kind of like you that you want to be like, you know, um, I don't know that that's that's what I usually think of is like who who can I look to and there's lots of lots of people out there right now I was just looking at yeah I mean or just even role models for for um for beauty like I was just you know I have this my lingerie line just got expanded into like 44h and I was just opened up a new picture of the model and and wearing it and I was like god she's so amazing and it's like I get so excited posting those pictures um because you know it's like I think that typically all the lingerie is kind of like on you know 
it, things are changing, of course, you know, like we're getting more diversity for real, but yeah, I would say kind of like, just like looking for someone to, to, uh, admire their style, mm. you know, these, um, uh, more Rubenesque models and seeing how they wear their clothes and how they mm. wear their lingerie and how they, mm. you know, or even how they, in, 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 how they present themselves nude you know i mean it's it's i that's what i love about social media is that people feel very free and it's amazing to watch and discover and we're kind of like liberating the the uh you know we used we're made to feel like because we don't see different kinds of bodies that there's something to fear or something i find like when i see whether it's someone in there you know I've seen astonishing looking like women's bodies and they're in their 60s. And I'm like, whoa, everyone always told me that women in their 60s were going to be all old and wrinkly and they scared me. And then I'm looking at this woman going, wow, her body's incredible. It's just because we don't, we're, I don't know, we have it like programmed to us that we're supposed to be not see those kinds of bodies nude. And I like that I get to live through a time when we are and when it's really like, there are lots of examples out there of of different types of people embracing sensuality and 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 fashion and glamour and it's exciting mm, well somewhere along the way the systems that we were all living in kept women uh repressed in these ideas mm -hmm. of what we could do at certain ages and it mm -hmm. isn't and i think it's an, a huge, hugely exciting time that we're starting to it break is. free of some of those 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 conditionings that we we're, we're no longer in boxes. We can do mm -hmm. whatever we want. And what I love most about everything you've just said, Dita, is that I feel you're a great gatherer of information that you like. It feels <laughs> like not only do you collect vintage clothing cars and you know amazing human beings to surround yourself with but you also gather information like if you if you're stuck go and find role models even mm -hmm. you've you've even said that you have to go to betty vernon's site to get yeah. tips on dirty talking yeah. it's like you know or, you're or, Von Tees. I'm, <laughs> and you, I'm looking you're ahead if i feel down on myself that i'm like oh god you know wow i'm gonna be finished i'm gonna be doing my tour in 2022 that's the year i'm gonna turn 50 then i sit there and go hey i just saw j-lo Hey, I just talked to Gwen and it's like, there are women that are, you know, a few years older than me and I have someone to look up to and look at and say like, it's okay. I'm okay. Um, so I think that's really important. And of course it's always been important for me to set that example too, for anyone who other people, you know, maybe they are afraid of being, you know, of advancing in age. It's like, I think it's just important to like have people to look, look to when you feel like, you know you feel a certain mm. way I have I have my whole list of women that I'm like oh Salma Hayek oh my god like her became bathing suit selfies you know it's, she has it's... got great breasts oh my god she's amazing, <laughs> <laughs> she's amazing. yeah what so I kind of look at that you? next for what me is, what um, is next for you Dita you just mentioned that you're possibly not going to get to go on tour until 2022 Chloe right. we're going to be there right oh Chloe and I actually were wondering <laughs> we were we have a question for you, Dita. Okay. Hello? No, I'm okay. not. <laughs> I, I, I love this woman. She's so... No, it was a joke. Uh, no, it's not a joke. Well, we were... One of the things that we were... We were listening to oh. um, one of your pieces of work and you were talking about putting the show together and making sure that in your shows you had lots of different types of humans, shapes, sizes, men, etc. And we thought that was really cool. And, and, and we wondered... 
we won. Well, two years ago, we we ambushed Mal C, Sporty Spice, um, and, and went <laughs> yeah. on stage and were her backing singers. Amazing. And, um, and and I've also done the same with the rapper Ice T, which is another yes. conversation which we can't have right now. Um, I ambushed his show and went on stage and danced. But but Dieter, do whatever you're doing in the next in the next twelve <laughs> to twenty four months. Is there a space for Chloe? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could you could start as a panty picker upper, or you know, take away the costume pieces. You could help the male entourage guys. They they do their little strip tees. You can pick up their. I just want to yeah. touch the costumes. <laughs> They're heavy. Chloe just wants to smoke you. Oh god. So what's next? What's next? I do. What's next, well, Dita? What's yeah. next? What do we need to look out for? We don't really know what's next, except for I mean, I know that I'm about to announce my new new dates that were supposed to go in 2020 i have uh i think five nights at the london palladium and then yes. i'm doing like folly berger in paris <gasps> so that should be it's a big milestone for me and also the um uh the opera garnier at monte carlo which is also like <gasps> you know that's a theater where the red shoes was set take, took place in so i'm and last time i was doing it it was uh um uh prince prince albert is that his name prince albert he showed up is that his name wow. mm. From Monte Carlo, I always yes. Get confused. I don't. I mean, Chloe yet, probably so yeah. knows more than yeah. me. Yeah. Chloe, is yeah. that right? <laughs> I didn't know, but I was yes, very like, is. oh my god, like that's <laughs> a, you know big deal for him to come to a burlesque show, you know. So um, yeah. So I'm really excited <gasps> about like especially those three venues on my tour in 2022 when it's hopefully safe. Um, yeah, they're all historic. Wow. The London Palladium is where Gypsy Rose Lee. Uh, that was her pinnacle. She said that that was the most important stage she ever did, mm. um, according to her son, who I'm friends with. And so to me, mm. that's like, I always like the London Palladium is really one of my favorite places in the world to perform. Chloe and I Amazing. will be in the front row of all of those, including Paris but and Monte Carlo. Yes. <laughs> Thank, Thank you so you. much for your time. That was fun. We didn't talk enough about vaginas, but maybe next time. <laughs> Yeah, we can. You can definitely come back on and we can talk about vaginas. I don't know why we didn't even. I think mostly just because the community felt (laughs) the questions were very much about confidence from you. I think you you are you're you're a role model for women, and I think that they'll really enjoy it. But we can we can definitely do another one. We talk more about. (laughs) Or I just want to listen in on the talks about vaginas. Okay, cool. I can just send you dirty voice notes if you want, Dita. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Actually, that sounds can... fun. We could text each other and I'll give you ideas. You can give me ideas. Yeah, me, and you and Chloe, like... we could have a yeah, group about talk. how to talk dirty. Yeah, yeah. Just, just send through like voice notes of like things to try. Like, yeah. I think so, this actually we might be onto something here. Brilliant. Really, actually, <laughs> is there any? There must be someone who's like being a sex talk coach, right? I don't. We know have to look any. into it, like an app you could download if you're stuck. Yeah, in the moment or something. You know how you have like Duolingo, and you maybe it's Duolingus, and you yes. just like get to learn how to talk dirty instead of learning how to speak French. Duolingus, you heard it here first. Hang on a second. This is a, actually a really, Brilliant. really good Copyright idea. Quickly. Let's this do is it. a really good idea because you've got all the erotic apps now, like Furly and you know, right. and, and and Karma, which is the new amazing one that I love. But they're not teaching women how to talk dirty. They're teaching women how to self pleasure and how to be erotic and connected to themselves, sexually and spiritually and physically. But mm-hmm. no one's teaching dirty talking. So watch this space. Yes, watch this. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Dita, thank you so much. 
thank you very much. That was fun. Really fun. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. And I want to say a very special thank you to our sponsors of this week's episode, Venus. Shaving your pubic hair with the wrong tools can cause things like irritation, itch during regrowth and ingrown hairs. That's why the new Venus for Pubic Hair and Skin Collection is designed specifically for the pubic area. Whether the hair is there, growing or gone, the full collection is pH balanced and free of parabens, dyes, fragrance and silicone and is also dermatologist and gynaecologist approved. You can try the new Venus for Pubic Hair and Skin Collection for yourself in store or online at Boots.